Hi, I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danielport. We're board-certified plastic surgeons and hosts of the podcast Forever Young. Join us every Tuesday as we share the latest products and procedures in the never-ending quest to help our patients look and feel their very best. The world of cosmetic surgery is constantly improving. Join us on the cutting edge. Forever Young is available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, beauty, travel, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. Only you know what your body needs. Let this be the reminder that you have the power to tap in and know the food, self-care, and spiritual practices that will best serve you. I will be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can feel your best and live your dreams. Let's get started. Hi friends, welcome back to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. And today I am chatting with Dr. Brooke Scheller about how what you eat affects your relationship with alcohol and how your diet can cause you to either crave alcohol or not. And how we got to this topic today is through Dr. Brooke's book, How to Eat to Change How You Drink. And Dr. Brooke found herself addicted to alcohol and her way of coping was ultimately total sobriety. And she achieved that by applying her skills as a doctor of nutrition and pairing her knowledge of nutrition with other integrative therapies to eliminate alcohol for good. Seeing the success that she had for herself, she shifted her nutrition practice to help inspire others to explore a lifestyle with little to no alcohol through simply changing their diets, adding in more protein, eating more quality foods, choosing foods for nutrition density, making sure that your blood sugar is balanced. All these things go into play in why you crave alcohol or why you can develop addictions towards alcohol. Her book, How to Eat to Change How You Drink, is really a revolutionary guide to leveraging food and nutrition to reduce or eliminate alcohol consumption, develop mindfulness, and to promote a healthier relationship with alcohol. She teaches how to identify drinking archetypes and nutritional changes you can make to reduce alcohol cravings alongside new behavior modifications. So she dives into how alcohol affects nutritional status, can contribute to health systems, ranging from fatigue, hormonal imbalance, digestive irregularities, weight gain, thyroid disorders, autoimmune disease, and more. So much of our health is determined by what we consume, and often people forget that alcohol can affect our physical health and well-being. They think it's just an extra add-on, and that it doesn't really play a role in your overall health and wellness because, and we touch on this in our episode today, you know, all the new studies that have come out about red wine and how red wine is healthy for you, but really it's still reacting in your body, whether it's red, white, rosé, hard liquor, it's all creating ethanol and ethanol is a chemical it's a poison that your body has to try to dispel when you consume alcohol. So that's what we get into today, where cravings come from, 
how to balance alcohol, how to change your diet if you want to reduce those cravings, and all the things around food, nutrition, and alcohol. It's a really interesting episode. It'll definitely make you more mindful if you're going to choose to drink to make sure that you have something on your plate in front of you before you do so or that you're following that drink up with something to eat to balance your blood sugar levels so you can still wake up the next day and feel great. And it's also like with everything, quality over quantity. If you're going to continue to drink, you know, choosing a better quality options rather than something that's just simply cheap. So without further ado, here is my episode with Dr. Brooke Scheller. And if you want to learn more about her book, How to Eat to Change How You Drink, I will have links to her website and her book in the show notes. She also has an online course. So if you're looking to remove alcohol out of your life and edit your diet, um, she can walk you through a course in order to do that at home. But without further ado, here is my episode with Dr. Brooke. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Brooke. It's such a treat to connect with you here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Well, like I was mentioning to you, I have all these questions about the link between alcohol and nutrition and how drinking can affect the way we crave food and the way we taste certain foods. Because I stopped drinking a long time ago simply because I found that every time I went out and had a few drinks with friends, the next day I would crave sugar. And I was struggling with staying healthy and balanced with these intense sugar cravings. But as soon as I would stop drinking alcohol, those cravings would disappear. Why does alcohol cause us to crave things that are out of what we would normally feed ourselves? Yeah, so it's a great question and um, a long answer because there's a couple of different things that can be happening behind the scenes. But I believe you've read my book, Whitney. Um, My book is called How to Eat to Change How You Drink. And a lot of what brought me into this space is, um, well, my personal experience in getting sober, but also as a doctor of nutrition that is trained in looking at the root cause and the functional medicine kind of realm. And what we do in that space is is we are really looking to identify the reason behind why we experience the things that we experience. And so when I started my own sobriety journey, I was really intrigued at not only, you know, the effects of alcohol on our body in the short term or in the long term, but also why is it that some of us develop this, um, you know, this increasing intake with alcohol that we develop addiction or develop an alcohol use disorder? And why is it that some people can kind of take it or leave it and they never really, they never really get there. And so my journey kind of started out in, in the way of being a scientist and having this this area of expertise. And then just like you said, recognizing that no one was really talking about this. There isn't a lot of discussion in this space quite yet around alcohol and nutrition. And what I find to be really interesting is that in nutrition training, I have a bachelor's and master's and a doctorate in nutrition. And while we didn't learn so much about alcohol and alcohol's effects on the body, what we do learn about alcohol is technically it is classified as a macronutrient macronutrients being our proteins, carbs, and fats. And the reason why it's categorized as a macronutrient is because it provides calories. So if you think about carbs, proteins, and fats, carbs and proteins contribute four 
calories per gram, fats contribute nine calories per gram, and alcohol contributes seven calories per gram. So from a scientific standpoint, some people look at it from this perspective, right? And when we do that, and when we think about the fact that alcohol is just another substance that we consume, just like any other food and beverage that we might take in, when we think of it in this way and we categorize it as a nutrition topic, we can use the tools that we would use to support other health aspects, um, you know, like food, like supplementation, like wellness and, and other types of means. And so one of the things to, to shift to answering your question about sugar cravings in particular, and this is something that most people experience when they're quitting alcohol, especially mm -hmm. if they are going through a period of sobriety where they're now, they've completely removed alcohol. And uh, a lot of people find that they almost have a little bit of this transfer addiction from alcohol to maybe sugar and sometimes carbohydrates. And part of the reason previously that it's been understood or, or part of the larger discussion has been around alcohol and the way that it impacts dopamine. And a lot of people think that, well, because alcohol creates the surge in dopamine, that sugar can also create the surge in dopamine. And that might be why I am I'm continuing to crave it. However, one of the less understood areas and something that I really did a ton of research around when I quit drinking and have really helped to bring this message to the current discussion around Sober Sober Curious is around blood sugar. And the reason why I feel passionately about sharing this is because when we think about blood sugar, we can have a lot of control over it by the foods that we eat. So what happens is when we are regular alcohol users or when we are using alcohol, you know, even if it's just on the weekends, it can play a role in how our body starts to release hormones that balance or regulate our blood sugar levels. So a lot of times people think that if there are sugar or carbs in a drink, that it's going to be worse for you because it's contributing sugar or carbs to your diet. It's maybe contributing more calories to your diet. But the alcohol molecule itself, remember seven calories per gram, the alcohol molecule itself is what's actually affecting your blood sugar levels. And so it doesn't matter, and I call this the vodka club theory, it doesn't matter if you are having alcohol with sugar or if you're having a club soda and there's no sugar present, alcohol actually lowers your blood sugar and can cause these decreases in blood sugar and, and lead us more toward experiencing hypoglycemia. And because of this, people who are regular alcohol users and people who get sober have these tendencies to fall into these points of low blood sugar, which manifests for most people as cravings for either sugar or carbohydrates, right? So it's simply the body almost trying to recalibrate itself when alcohol is not part of the picture anymore. Got it. Now, one thing that's always fascinated me is people who crave a drink. I've never been there. I don't know what that is. I only ever drank to be polite or to be social or because, you know, that was the function that I was going to, or I was at a winery, but I, I do know people and they tell me that like, they're really craving a beer with dinner. They're really craving a drink after a long day. Are they really yeah. craving the alcohol 
you've been there. Are they really craving the alcohol? Are they really craving the release, the emotional release? What is that? Yeah. So there's a couple different things happening there. And one of them is I, I work with clients all the time on this, which is simply that a lot of times when people are craving a drink, they have low blood sugar. So again, as we just talked about this indication with low blood sugar, because alcohol is mixed with things that will give you a spike or an increase in blood sugar, whenever we are are feeling that low blood sugar feeling, that can manifest as a craving. So what I typically say to people, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, at four o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the afternoon, I crave alcohol so intensely, I have to have a drink. I can't say no, I don't have the willpower. And I like to use that word willpower, because I think we beat ourselves up a lot of times. And we say, well, I am just not strong enough to do this. And usually it is the body. Something is going on in the body that's causing us to need or feel this very intense desire to something. And usually what happens in that afternoon timeframe is we're simply hungry, right? And I'll ask people if you get that really strong alcohol craving at four or five o'clock, well, when was the last time you eat? you ate, excuse me, was it lunch at 12 o'clock, five hours ago? If so, you need to eat. And if you had, maybe you had a snack in the afternoon, but maybe it was a high carb snack. So now you're again having this low blood sugar scenario, which can manifest as this craving for a drink. But also to your point, there is, you know, alcohol does have this effect on our brain. It helps to release a neurotransmitter called GABA. And GABA is one of the body's relaxing neurotransmitters. It is kind of what causes us after we have a drink to feel that that sigh of relief, right? That is GABA. That is the feeling or the sensation of GABA. So sometimes what we're craving is we are craving a release. We are craving something to take the edge off, for lack of a better word. And we're craving something that can kind of kick us from being overstimulated into more of a relaxed state. And I, this has a lot to do with, you know, what is kind of preceding that? Is there stress or something in particular that is manifesting? Because for a lot of people, it's at the end of a long workday, right? So combining that stress with low blood sugar is going to be the perfect recipe for someone to want to have a drink and have a really hard time saying no. And so one of my most simple recommendations for anyone who struggles, particularly at that time of day, is having something to eat, something high in protein with a source of good carbohydrates that is going to help raise blood sugar back up, and then keep it stabilized by having more protein so that you can kind of feel that that regulation, you can take that edge off and, and finding other tools in the interim to help with the stress relief piece too. I'm wondering, you know, as you look at the alcohol landscape, there's all different types of alcohol from wine to hard liquors. And there's a lot of talk about traditional alcohols, like alcohols that have been made a certain way for eons that people have been consuming. Are there healthy alcohols? traditional alcohols that are safe for the body or is all alcohol, no matter the quality, doing the same thing and affecting our health? 
Yeah. So the, the trouble with this, and I know there's a lot of discussion about, you know, there's natural wines, or again, if you're having something mixed with club soda, rather than having it with soda, right, that these are going to be quote unquote, better for you or healthier options. Now, yes, absolutely. Less sugar is going to be better and less exposure to, you know, harmful things on top of the alcohol is going to be better. But the trouble is that the alcohol, the ethanol molecule itself, which is what helps us feel drunk, right? The actual element of, of ethanol that we consume, that's what gives us that release and that stress relief. That is also what is poisonous or harmful to our body. So healthy alcohol is kind of a, um, a double negative because you couldn't necessarily have a healthy alcohol because it's the alcohol itself that is more of the problem. And I always say to people that, you know, the reason why we feel drunk, why we can't drive, why we can't walk in a straight line is because that is the effect of our body being poisoned by this substance. This is why we throw up if we drink too much, because our body is trying to excrete this harmful substance so that we don't die from it, right? And that is yeah. how, you know, ultimately alcohol can be deadly um, when it's consumed at high levels. And so there's unfortunately been a lot of misleading the public around that the, the quote unquote, health halo that previously has existed around alcohol, specifically red wine. And when you look at the statistics around alcohol intake over the last 50 years or so, in the years following the research that was released around red wine's potential health benefits, you see massive increases in, in wine consumption in particular, whereas other alcohol consumption has remained pretty static across the board. And so, sure, is a natural wine going to present less toxins? Sure, but the ethanol is still there. And the ethanol is the molecule that is affecting our blood sugar, that's affecting our gut microbiome, that's affecting our hormones, that's affecting our brain. And so that is the piece of it that unfortunately, we can't really have, you know, or live our healthiest lifestyle if alcohol is playing a significant role. So how should we edit our diets so we stop craving a drink or wanting a drink or feeling like a drink is missing when we're eating? Because I think if people feel like a drink is missing from their meal, it means something's out of balance on their plate. You know, that's what I was trained for at a health supportive culinary school, that if you're craving something after you eat a meal, that means there was imbalance on the plate and you need to add more protein or vegetables or starches or fermented vegetables, like you have to rebalance the plate so you don't have the cravings. What, what do you think? And are there foods that people need to start making sure that's in their diet so they can more easily transition away from alcohol? Yeah, so I talk a lot about this in the book. And one of the key strategies is increasing protein to help with stabilizing that blood sugar throughout the day. Again, um, you know, most people are under consuming protein or quality protein, and they're under consuming it at the right times of the day. So we're not getting enough protein at breakfast, we're not getting enough protein at snacks. And even simply not having the right amount of protein at breakfast can cause these imbalances and this kind of domino effect to happen later on in the day. And so 
I know it seems disconnected if we're thinking about dinner time, but breakfast and what we have for breakfast does affect our choices and our decisions at dinner time. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of and I talk a lot about in the book is increasing protein intake and being really strategic about your meal timing throughout the day. Never going long periods of time in between meals because that is going to create these changes in blood sugar that are going to make it really difficult to manage cravings later on in the day. You know, the other thing with that is that stress plays an important role because stress and cortisol, cortisol being our body's stress hormone, um, has very close linkages with blood sugar as well. And so if we are going long periods of time and we're having really high stress, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of, a lot of disaster later on in the day. And, but when it comes to, you know, balancing the plate and, and maybe the craving while you're eating, I think a lot of it is habitual. You know, so much of it is I'm used to sitting down at dinner and having this glass of wine, or I'm used to the habit of I get home from work and I sit down with this drink at the end of the day. Um, a lot of that ritual is is habitual, and it is something that we can shift if we become aware of that pattern and start to look for other alternatives. You know, again, this is where I think the health and wellness plate space can play a really important role in helping to change our alcohol use behaviors because what can we do otherwise to combat stress is we can exercise, we can get outside, we can have a healthy meal or have something healthy to eat, um, we can meditate, we can use a lot of these wellness-centered tools to support changing our, our experiences with alcohol or our habits around alcohol. Hi, I'm Chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to Kundalini mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on starseedkitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. You mentioned the period of time between meals. What do you recommend? So four hours, five hours, when do people need to be eating so their blood sugar doesn't drop? Yeah, so I suggest having something to eat every three to four hours. After that, you're starting to get into a little bit of dangerous territory. Um, and, and some people can go a little bit longer, but most of the time, if we are getting to the point where we're really hungry, when we're eating, we are probably at a point where our blood sugar is a bit low. And for anyone who's listening, who's really interested in blood sugar, you know, there are ways to monitor blood sugar now, like wearing a continuous glucose monitor. Um, that tool has been really helpful with some of my clients and looking at where blood sugar is really kind of manifesting in those cravings. 
again, whether that be for alcohol or for sugar or carbohydrates, but even buying a simple uh, blood stick test that you can get at Walgreens or CVS uh, and looking at it at different points of the day can give you a little bit of an indication of your actual blood sugar levels. But if you're not necessarily willing to try that or don't want to do that, you can even simply log your food. You can mm -hmm. write down for a couple of days what you ate when and kind of journal and track how you feel, your moods, your energy levels, all of those things are going to play a role into your blood sugar. And I think what most people find when they actually write this down is that there's a really close connection between the times that they ate and when they feel good or feel bad. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's when we feel that we feel hangry, we feel irritable, we feel tired, that's when we're reaching for a drink. All we're simply looking for is something to help regulate that feeling, but mm -hmm. alcohol is only prolonging us to choose unhealthy options rather than getting us closer toward figuring it out and resolving that. Well, you've talked also in your book about different therapies that people can do as they're choosing not to consume alcohol anymore. For some, it's a more intense lifestyle change than others. And you mentioned NAD therapy, which I've been hearing about for the past five years. And some people are using NAD for to optimize their health, while others are using it as a way to take themselves off alcohol completely and live a sober life. Can you talk about what NAD therapy is for those that aren't familiar with it and how it supports? Yeah, NAD, or sometimes you'll see it as NAD+. Plus. Um, NAD is uh, basically one of our body's main coenzymes that helps with energy production. And it's built off of niacin, which is vitamin B3. And vitamin B3 has been studied for a very long time around alcohol use and alcohol cessation. And particularly in IV therapies, NAD is, is gaining a lot of traction, as you're mentioning, over the last five years or so, um, simply for longevity. Because this enzyme, this coenzyme NAD, that is um, important for energy production, what that means essentially is our cells. Our, our cells need NAD to function. And if we are not getting enough of the, that cofactor, if we're not getting enough vitamin B3, for example, then that's going to impact how our cells produce energy throughout our body. And so one of the challenges, and you know this, Whitney, from the book, is that alcohol very significantly affects nutrient levels. Mm -hmm. It is going to lower most of our B vitamins. It's going to lower our magnesium, our zinc, our iron, our omega-3s, our protein. And so what happens is the more that we consume alcohol, the less that we are going to have these nutrients that are important for everyday body function. And that is everything from cellular health to our mood, to our energy, physical energy levels, to our ability to you know, produce hormones and metabolize hormones naturally, to um, you know, support all of the systems and processes that happen in our body. But NAD in particular just happens to research around it and, and its use uh, in particular for just strengthening these systems that basically help us feel good, right? And the better that we feel, oftentimes, the less likely we are to drink, right? If we feel good mm -hmm. energy and we feel a positive mood, we're less likely to be reaching for that thing to cope. 
And so there's, there's a lot of ways that the B vitamins kind of contribute to, um, to our overall health and longevity. But it's really interesting to me that this is, it's still something that's not really used as a standard of care, right? Even though there's a lot of research around it, it's quite costly. Um, mm-hmm. You have to do it quite frequently, especially in the early days, if you're using it for alcohol cessation, um, you're looking at using it several times per week, and it's quite costly each session to do it. And so it's not necessarily something that is used really readily quite yet, but there is a lot of research behind its potential. What are your thoughts on simple vitamin drips for people that are trying to take walking away from alcohol in their own hands, or maybe they're just occasionally they have hangovers and they are suddenly realizing the connection between what they're eating and nutrient deficiency. Do those vitamin drips really help? Yeah. So the vitamin drips are great. And really all you're doing is you're taking vitamins that you would have to take you know, the orally that would have to digest in your system and then kind of absorb. So instead of going through that clunky process of digestion, you're basically putting the nutrients straight into the bloodstream, right? So in theory, it is going to be a little bit more direct way to be restoring nutrient levels. So it can definitely be helpful. Um, I know that there's so many of these that are like advertised as hangover remedies or hangover cures. And, you know, the challenge with that is, even if you're drinking heavily and you're taking a multivitamin or you're you're getting these hangover IVs and things, um, you're still likely going to be a little bit behind just because of the way that alcohol depletes out nutrients in a few different ways. It affects how we absorb them in our digestive system. It um, increases our need for antioxidant nutrients like vitamin C. So even if we're taking it, we're needing extra of it, right? And so, you know, it's one of those things that... uh, even before I quit drinking, I was in the same camp of like, okay, well, how do I repair the damage that I'm doing with alcohol? And what I have learned, unfortunately, is the best way to improve your nutrient status in that regard is to eliminate alcohol because it's not only sabotaging your nutrient status, but it's disrupting all of these other areas, the gut microbiome, for example. Um, the lining of our intestinal system is, is very degraded with alcohol use. It's affecting our hormone balance. It's affecting our cortisol levels, which is another big one that um, I think surprises a lot of people. We think that alcohol lowers stress, but really it's actually making stress worse because it is increasing cortisol levels over time. Why is it that if someone is a drinker, long-term in their life, a heavy drinker, why is it that their nose swells up? I don't know the answer to that. Really? I'm not quite sure. I find it fascinating. I mean, it, it may be inflammatory, um, like maybe simply inflammatory um, because alcohol is going to increase systemic inflammation, but mm-hmm. I don't have any research or anything that I could share with you as to why that happens. Now, if someone's reflecting on their use of alcohol from earlier in their life. And maybe it's not something that they don't drink very often anymore. And like you were saying, they just are kind of a little stressed out of the damage that they've done to their body. Like what can we be doing now to make up for that time that we spent 
over drinking. Is there anything that we can do to help revitalize our liver or our overall cellular health? Yeah, well, I think it's really important to understand where your body is at. Um, maybe doing some testing and and seeing you know, what your nutrient levels look like. What does your gut microbiome look like? What does your liver health look like? Some of these can just provide indication as to what might be kind of needing a little bit of additional support and help. Most things can be repaired and resolved. You know, I was even speaking with a client earlier who has fatty liver from heavy alcohol use. And until the liver is cirrhosed or scarred, it can be repaired in most cases. And so we see that, you know, um, even if there is damage and, and who knows, it's hard to say, right? Because there's so many other confounding factors, what is specific to alcohol and what is not. But I think for anyone who's listening and kind of worried about maybe if they've done damage, um, getting some functional testing and seeing where your body maybe needs a little bit of additional support and then working with a practitioner to to find if there are certain foods or supplements that can help to repair those systems. Now, are there particular is there a particular diet plan that you like to help your clients get on if they're working on stepping away from alcohol? Yeah, so in the book I talk a lot about, you know, the the principles and things that I put into place with people. I do have an online course, it's called the Functional Sobriety Academy, which helps people walk through building their own nutrition and supplement plan that supports their alcohol-free goals, um, whether they are sober or sober curious. And, you know, a lot of that is based on how you feel and what are the personal things that you're experiencing and that you're, you know, you feel like you need the most support on. Some people do really well with simply bringing in the tools of blood sugar balancing and eating more frequently, um, you know, but other people have digestive concerns that maybe need addressing. And so maybe they are eating more fibers and they're bringing in probiotics and probiotic rich foods. And so it's really, you know, everybody's body is so different. And I'm a really big believer of that. I am not a, a huge proponent of, you know, plant-based diets, for example, that are very low in protein, just because um, the proteins are not only important for, um, you know, muscle health and all of the reasons why I think generally people think of protein, but proteins are also the, the building blocks of proteins, which we call amino acids, are actually the foundation of our brain's neurotransmitters. So things like GABA and serotonin and dopamine are all built off of amino acid cofactors. And so if we're not getting enough amino acids and proteins in our diet, that affects our mood. It affects our ability to think. It affects our feelings of anxiety. And so I am a really big proponent of bringing in healthy sources of animal protein, wild caught fish, for example, and lean proteins and things that um, help boost brain, help stabilize blood sugar, and also contain a lot of nutrients that are, are not always found in, in plant-based foods. So believe that it's important to have a varied diet and to bring in functional foods that can support these areas that people maybe are looking to support, like the liver, for example. Um, and some of those foods for the liver that I love to recommend are beets. Um, there's a bunch of great beet recipes in the book. 
Um, but even things like cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, um, those are also really health promoting for the liver. Are there herbs or teas that you recommend to do clients as well that support the liver? Yeah, so it depends on the person, but sometimes, you know, we're looking at things like milk thistle, for example, if there is more liver damage. Um, I don't necessarily recommend teas as often as, as supplementation, but there are definitely ways to use teas, I think, more for stress relief. Teas, I find, aren't as strong or as potent in terms of dosages with, you know, if you're, if you're looking to use herbs medicinally. So I think supplements can, can help a little bit more effectively on that. And I really like to use herbs specifically for sleep because I find those to be really helpful. And sleep can be another one of those topics with uh, alcohol that we tend to use alcohol maybe to induce sleep. And it's a bit of a misnomer that alcohol helps sleep. It, it, it has a sedative effect, so it will kind of induce sleep, but it also creates really broken and dysregulated sleep, especially because of its effects on our blood sugar and kind of the metabolism of alcohol after that initial sedation. So what do you like to do to make sure that you get a good night's sleep? I sleep very well. Um, I, what do I do? Well, I try to turn off screens about an hour before bed. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that I find really helps me. I I have to cut off work at a reasonable hour because if I don't, um, that will stimulate, uh, you know, difficulty sleeping for me. But also even things like magnesium can be helpful for uh, inducing relaxation. Magnesium is another mineral that is very affected by regular alcohol consumption. And magnesium is our body's relaxing mineral. About 70% of the American population is deficient in magnesium. And Yet, this is one of the things that helps us naturally calm our body. And so that's a great way, a great tool to implement at the end of the day or um, before bed to help induce that, that sleep or that rest naturally. Are there foods that we aren't eating that are causing us to be so low in magnesium? Yeah, well, there's some, some question over magnesium depletion in soil and how foods that theoretically should contain more magnesium aren't because of depletion in soil and lack of crop rotation and things along those lines. But magnesium is mostly found in plant foods and, and, and produce, which a lot of the population is deficient in getting enough fresh fruits and vegetables. Got it. Thank you for that clarification. Well, yeah. where do you where do you keep turning to learn? Like what are the resources and places that you go to keep learning about health, wellness, food, nutrition, all the things? Yeah. So I mean, I'm I, I like to read research. I like to, you know, understand what is kind of coming out in the research, but I also stay really abreast to popular culture and the discussions around alcohol in, uh, in the media. And, you know, there's been a lot of interesting media coverage of sobriety, sober curiosity, non-alcoholic beverages over the last couple of years. And so, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting to see where there is interest and, and really help and support people. You know, I find a lot of inspiration in working with clients. I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, I have an online network, online programming and, and courses and things. And oftentimes I learn a lot from my clients. I, um, you know, have a client ask a question, 
hey, why is this happening? Or is, is there a connection between this and that? And, and I'll do some research to find out, you know, if there's potentially something to it. And, and I find that to be a really helpful way because it's based on real experiences. Unfortunately, we haven't researched this area enough. Um, and so a lot of times what we have to do and part of what inspired me to write the book was there is a lot of research on these kind of disjointed areas like alcohol in the gut microbiome and alcohol and blood sugar and things like that. But there's not a lot of discussion that pulls it together. And that was really my goal with this book is to create a guide where you can look at um, food to be an ally in your alcohol-free journey and how we can kind of look at the root causes of why we might have had cravings, why it might have been challenging for us to quit drinking, and how to really use food and nutrition as a tool in healing our body so that we can feel our best and and not turn to alcohol to to cope. Absolutely. I think nutrition is a big key for a lot of us in creating balance in our body and our mind. So I love that you've put this book together to kind of help people have a tool to, to move in that direction. Well, where can people connect with you, get your book, work with you, find these resources to use food to better manage their, their choices with alcohol? Yeah. So you can learn more about me at functionalsobriety.com, which is my, my online program. And you can find more information there about the book, which is also available wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever you like to get your books. Um, also on Audible, Kindle, all the different formats, my programs, my online courses, and all of the other resources, including tons of other free resources, supplements, etc., are all available there at functionalsobriety.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Brooke Scheller. And can you leave our guests with maybe one last health or wellness tip that they can consider adding into their life just to improve their overall well-being? Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion now about nervous system regulation, not just in the in the alcohol-free space, but in the wellness space in general and how we can better regulate our nervous system so that we are experiencing less stress. We are not looking for things like alcohol to cope. And so one of my biggest recommendations for people is to just find ways to relax your body that maybe you haven't tried before. Maybe that's meditation. Maybe that is, um, you know, I'm a big fan of tapping EFT, emotional freedom technique, and just finding ways to help relieve the stress that we feel on a day-to-day basis, because that stress drives so much of our choices around not only alcohol, but also the foods that we eat and the foods that we choose. And so, you know, we can know what to eat, know not to drink and all of those things. But if we're not supporting and regulating the nervous system first and foremost, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. Thank you for that tip, Dr. Brooke. And thank you for being here on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the High Vibration Living Podcast. Please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are tuning in from to help more listeners like and find this podcast. And if you really loved what you heard today, pay it forward and send this episode to a friend or loved one. 
For more Starseed Kitchen, visit starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my high vibration foods, organic spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. You can find me and follow along on my chef adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff. Thanks again for tuning in. Cheers to you and your health. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.